and welcome back to the On Coaching Podcast. I'm Steve Magnus, joined as always by my good friend and colleague, John Marcus. John, what's going on, my man? Man, New Year, same message. Here to give the people what they want in 2023. Wow. Wow, we're getting old, man. This is uh, our podcast. Wise, Stephen. We're getting wise. Wise. There we go. Wisdom. <laughs> wisdom comes with age. That's what it is. Hey, do you know um, a great place to get wisdom even with or without age? Can you tell me? Where's that? Good... That would be the scholar program, my friend. You know, that is. You know why? Because wisdom comes when you expose yourself to new ideas, challenge yourself, and get to have conversations on it. And guess mm. where the perfect place to have conversations with 400 of your close friends who are also coaches trying to figure this out it's almost 500 now fyi people have been signing up you know (laughs) this is what happens i don't read i don't look at the the data the numbers for a while and it's just going up so yeah join contrary to what anyone thinks we have no idea how many downloads we get we have no idea how popular this podcast is just two guys talking shop that's really all it is keep it simple friends (laughs) We, we actually don't. Back in the day, I remember, you know, this gives the insight. Before we switched to the Scholar program or, or developed it, we used to have a couple ads here, advertisements here, and companies would reach out and they'd be like, send us your download numbers. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know how to do that because we don't <laughs> keep track of any of it. So we're just, we're just two nerds nerding out. So if you like that, guess what? You know, that's what the Scholar Program is all about. As John said, over five, almost 500 coaches who are just, you know, sharing ideas both in chat form and then monthly Zoom talks where we dissect a training talk. And then, of course, you get all the courses, Canova, Lydiard training, all sorts of great stuff coming. Actually, I'm going to drop it here. I have been working on, John, the Igloy course. It's coming. So, and and you know what? I've got a, I've got a, I just got, I'll, I'll give the behind the scenes. I got a document written up by someone who was coached by Igloy back in the day. And we're, we're just setting up a, interview to go deep on his experience being coached by Igloy. So we're going to, again, we're just giving people what they want and what you can't get elsewhere. So Igloy, man, the OG, the OG, the OG. Yeah, I tell you what. Another cool thing is the clubhouse that we've talked about ad nauseum, but we'll continue to talk about because there's always something to talk about in the clubhouse. Like you're not alone. And that's the reality in coaching. Sometimes you can feel like you're on an island. I know Steve's been there. I've been there. Whether you're a division one coach, high school coach, or even a, you know, um, coach to open uh, masters, athletes, what have you, you're always in competition with your quote unquote peers, right? You're trying to either beat the other team or have your athletes beat the other athletes and or compete for clients. So, but this is a great place because it's decentralized. We have coaches from all over the globe who are here to help each other who might not be in direct competition with each other. And sometimes even if they are, they still are there to lend assistance. Like a really good example is this uh, last week, a member, a scholar member had a question about training for the hills and the downhills in Boston Marathon, especially the first half. And she posted her question and Steve and I, she asked Steve and I for our feedback, but we had not yet given any and 25 messages came about, Hey, here are ways to approach training for the Boston downhills. It was phenomenal. The, you know, wealth of information that, you know, every scholar had and was willing to offer this member as she tried to prepare her people for the downhills of um, Beantown. And, you know, quick hint, you don't want to do the Alberto Salazar and start running repeat mile downhills about three weeks before the event. We know that. But again, really interesting to see everyone's different um, experience, insights, suggestions. And, you know, she just walked away with a lot to think about to hopefully inject into her training program to benefit her athletes. Absolutely. I love it. Coaches helping coaches. It's not about John and I. That's why the more people join, the better it gets because the collective knowledge just grows and grows and grows and collective experience and insights. All right. It's like a tree so this or a flower. Week, it's just beautiful to watch. It is. So join, join us. 
This week, though, John, we get to nerd out on champions in the making. Mm. Winners are everywhere. They just need coaching. Yeah. So, so I'm gonna let you start, John. Before I'll let you start. You, you, you yeah. go off on this, and then I'll. Yeah. Add. So I gotta give a shout out to a good friend uh, and you know coach in the you know uh, Portland metro area. Tom Rothenberg over at Jesuit High Schools. His boys team recently took second at NXN. Uh, his girls team also qualified and had a pretty solid showing. One of the few programs in the nation to have both men's or boys and girls teams qualified to the NXN championships. Tough to do. Also state champs this year. A lot of good stuff. And, you know, Tom and I have talked a lot um, on and off. And having already kind of been to the championship mountain peak, I mean, he's been in the game coaching at a high le- high school level for about 30 years plus, um, you know, and when you have success at first, it can kind of fill you with this gravitas, right? That you, you have it all figured out to quote Tom. And then you realize years later, you don't because it's the art of coaching. It, you know, rests in how the personalities come together and collaborate on the team, how you as a coach help create um, and nurture that synergy but also too, from your presence and influence as a coach, however your impact and demeanor is. And long story short, so even after his boys and team got second at XN and his girls teams did really well, I see him out winter break, just walking around the you know general Nike campus where the, his teams you know run in the off season, and he's just out there. And for voluntary practice, he's like, I'll just be here. You don't have to be here if you're in town. Great. If not, but he's just there. And so before he's there before the first kids show up and he's there until the last kid leaves. Cause I'm out there running my runs, doing my loops. And I keep seeing him, waving to him, talking to him, seeing his kids. And it's just like, if someone like that, who has had a lot of success at their level, still understands the value of definitely showing up and being there and not necessarily having a direct influence, but just kind of a being a steady hand on the wheel influence that creates stability, that creates um, accountability, that creates, um, you know, positive uh, excitement and energy in his collective is there during a winter break because he's also a teacher um, and an administrator in his high school. So during the scant period of time, he gets free to himself and he's elected voluntary to be there, not to kind of whip him into shape or say, hey, we got to do this. Hey, we got to do that because he understands his position and he plays his position well. And it was just a seeing it over the winter break for several days and talking with him a little bit just reminded me and talking with him is like you don't know who's going to be able to do what unless you as a coach you know, take the onus and take the initiative and continue just to set that example and have skin in the game by showing up and just being there. And if you create the space, it's amazing to see what athletes will do and how people will blossom. I love that idea of creating the space. And I think too often we forget this as coaches is, is it reminds me and goes back to the old Lydiard staying like there are champions everywhere. You just have to find them. And for Lydiard, like, why did he think this? Well, because he got, you know, uh, Peter Snell and Murray Halberg and all these guys who were like random collection of neighborhood boys, local, man. Yeah. Local neighborhood guys. <laughs> and he literally turned them into champions. So that shaped his idea of like, oh my gosh, there are champions everywhere. We've just got to give them that space and those those tools to develop. And I think it's easy especially as you kind of uh, stick around the sport to get a little jaded and say, ah, you know, if only I had this, this, and this, but what you see is the good coaches, the good programs, you know, is they find, they create that space and give people the opportunity to grow. <laughs> and, you know, one thing I, kn- I, I remember as a college coach is, and I had this argument all the time as I was like, too often we label people early when we have no idea what they're capable of. And my argument as a college coach with not much scholarship money was we needed lots and lots of walk-ons because you have no idea what ones can like turn into, you know, just rocket ship up their talent. If you give them the space to do so, 
when they haven't had that before. And there were so many examples, you know, that I'd always give of like, look at this kid who went from, you know, horrible to all conference or, you know, whatever have you region made it to regionals or whatever have you. And <laughs> I never won that argument because, you know, administrators don't get things, but, <laughs> but there's a lot of validity to the idea that like, when people are given the space, you never know what they're capable of. And there are so many examples where I just sat there. I'm like, you know, you get that walk on. I actually remember one of, I'll tell this story real quick. My first year is we had this, we had a very small girls team. We had like six girls on the team. So I was just like, everybody come on board. Like you can run, you're on. And I remember that there was one girl who as a freshman, I don't know, was like fourth or fifth to last at the conference cross country championships. So way back. And I just remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I don't know if this girl's ever going to turn into anything. Like that was pretty rough. Like cross country was not, that was not good. Sweet, kind girl, whatever have you. Well, you know, three years later, she was our, our conference champion in the, in the steeplechase. And was, you know, the made the first round of NCAAs. That talent didn't show up and express that first semester. But given time and the space to develop, she blossomed and like turned into a stud. And, you know, if you were to ask me that first semester, there's no way I could have I would have predicted that. I would have been like, no, no, this was this is like walk on, happy to be on the team, glad to travel because our team is small, et cetera, et cetera. But you just don't know unless you give people the opportunity and chance. And this is where I think high school coaches do a really good job. And if you look at programs like when you mentioned um, of your friends in Oregon, is that they provide opportunities without judgment. You know, it's the it's the uh, the old York High School. Like, hey, there's a hundred kids. I'm gonna get to know every everyone's name or give them a nickname by Joe Newton, and then like all of a sudden many of them blossom into something that I'm sure Newton didn't think at the beginning was possible. Oh yeah. I mean, that that's the most fun about returning to high school coaching and coaching juniors again is you see them blossoming, not only physically, but mentally. And then also as, you know, self-concept as people. And that's what Tom and I had talked about a lot this winter is he's more concerned, not about the accolades. Like you tell him congrats for winning this. He's just like, Oh yeah. You know, no big deal. I mean, because that's not the game he's playing. That's a nice bonus um, for playing the infinite game, though it's finite results. But the infinite game, you know, kind of goes back to that idea um, by James Cars. is it's the game he's just going to keep on playing, probably till he's in the grave, right? And even when he retires, quote unquote, from everything, he'll probably still be there as a volunteer and just do that because that's ultimately, as coaches, we are in the infinite game. We can get caught up in the finites. We can get caught up in the status and success and results. But, you know, that's wonderful thing about you and I, Steve, is we've coached, you know, Olympians, national champions, and still work with your everyday athlete. Uh, because, again, to us, it's not about status. I only coach this caliber of person or this type of, you know, athlete. It's, hey, you know what, I'm in the infinite game. And when you have that infinite game mindset, it impacts your style. We talk a lot about coaching philosophy, right? What's your philosophy? And that's more organizational. How are you actually going to manipulate the variables in training? What you know, workouts you're going to do? Blah 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 blah. But philosophy also is really important because you have to take a broader paintbrush to that and say, look, from a philosophical standpoint, why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it for the paycheck? Is it fundamentally, is it for the accolades? Is it for this? And if you got a coaching, it's probably for none of those things <laughs> because there's not a lot of fame, not a lot of money. <laughs> like it's not this big status profession, right? We try to bring some um, status and highlight to it with the scholar program and other things because, you know, we are of that cut of that cloth. But outside of us, not many people are, you know, you know trumpeting uh, the import of coaches in athletes' performance and development especially in running, because it's viewed as this singular, individualized thing. But we are an important part of that support network. And that support network is key. And as a coach, being in an athlete support network, you have to play your position, as I call it. Know your role. Play your position. And that only can happen if your philosophy is sound. And the philosophy then impacts your style. 
And that's the thing about, say, Mike Smith, you know, who we talked about a lot and have the Mike Smith tapes that you can listen to if you're a scholar, um, is people are going to look at what's use training. You know, what's their, you know, where, they, where do they train? What shoes do they wear? Like all these, you know, peripherals. At the end of the day, it comes down to Mike's philosophy as a person, as a coach, and then his style, which is delivery of the philosophy, delivery day-to-day of his demeanor, how he acts and interacts. And that's the important thing is that interaction. And when your philosophy is really sound, you can be throw curveballs, you know, random things. Like he's, Mike's had a guy walk into his office and say, hey, coach, I don't want, I, I want to quit the track team because I want to become a YouTuber. And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, But that's his gut reaction. But now he's trying to hear the young man out and say, okay, why is he so passionate about trying to dedicate himself to become a YouTuber? And can we actually, um, in the scope of the team environment, deliver that, that need, that fundamental need, whether it's praise, attention, what have you, in an actually real environment versus a virtual environment? So again, style is so important. And I think, you know, Steve, we, we do a disservice because we don't, in the scholar program, um, in general, talk enough about coaches' style because that style, once you know your philosophy, it impacts your style and it 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 bleeds into the quote unquote culture. Yeah, exactly. No, I think you're you're spot on, and I think that's why you see, you know, good high school college coaches or coaches in general who have. It's almost like this push and pull. You know, it's. It's when you get into coaching, it's not too dissimilar from anything else. Like your style philosophy is often on like, you know, the we'll call it the internal. It's like, how do I help people? How do I get, you know, help people get better, accomplish X, Y, and Z. But with what happens is success often pulls us towards more of those like dangling shiny objects where our style starts to be about like, only the outcomes and like the pats on our back from getting status or what have you. And what that does is it pulls us away from like this idea at the beginning where like champions are in the making. They just, they need coaching. We need to create that space for it because what you end up doing is instead of being like, okay, I've got, you know, whatever 30 kids in this high school on this high school program, I'm going to coach them all up and we'll see what happens and give them the opportunity to get better. And even if that get better means running a 530 mile versus a 410 mile, like it's great because they're learning something. What happens is your focus starts to shift to only those who quote unquote matter in terms of performance. And that's where I think, I think you see programs that often can sustain themselves maybe for a short bit but don't have that, we'll call it the Joe Newton York long haul um, sustainability because the program starts to be focused only on the few and only on the, on the, on the outcome base. And what happens is you lose some of that like natural kind of play and exploration and development that often allows people to flourish. And I think the example you gave of Mike Smith at the college scene is a great example because (laughs) so often, and you probably saw this too, John, is the dedicated kids in high school, like they're dedicated and they're great, but they're also partially dedicated because cross country or track gave them their sense of identity and a little bit of freedom in a high school world where like essentially you when you show up to school, you're going to whatever, how many periods of classes you're there from beginning to end. You don't have to worry about showing up to practice or driving somewhere new because it's part of the program, right? And then you take yourself out of that in college and all of a sudden you have choices and you have more opportunities and you have more exploration and possibly more interests. And for some people, that makes them question they're kind of like all in dedication to running or what have you and and in some cases in many cases that's not bad but you have to figure out how to help this kid manage this new environment even if that environment is slightly pulling him towards youtube or whatever it is right and that doesn't mean you just say hey go do youtube it means like hey i get it you're in exploration mode like being part of this team is part of this exploration let's let's explore this together 
Yeah, and that's, I mean, yeah, it's good that you say that because I think we're always in exploration mode or hopefully we are in life. Now, a lot of people, you know, sometimes put a pause on that or neglect it, I think, um, because especially as we age, because what happens is we get comfortable with known and we say, I'm this way, I'm that way, my identity is cemented. But all, ultimately, right, even at a fractal level, even at epigenetics, we're always kind of changing, even though they might not be big sweeping changes. And that's fundamentally we are change agents as coaches i think if we position ourselves as change agents and hopefully make a positive impact with our charge that can go a long way now it's tough because there's two concurrent things you have to keep in your mind at the same time one being authentic and true to yourself what your personality is and then two the quote-unquote user or athlete experience so what's the athlete's experience for interacting with your personality and this is why i think a lot of people miss the ball in recruiting or the concept of recruiting it's not so you want to recruit someone who has just the numerical accolades just who's fast just who has placed at this time or has potential physically it's you want to recruit or work ideally work with if you're in a recruiting uh, environment people who are fits for your personality. I talk a lot about this with Alan Bishop, who, you know, uh, guest on the podcast, Steve's former colleague at U of H, but he's a sports performance director for U of H men's basketball, which was just ranked number one in the country for the first time ever. It was awesome. He talks about it very simply, he goes, look, it's not that people are bad. It's just, they're not the right fit. When we recruit, you know, we're trying to find a good fit. And what he means by that is you might be a size 14, but the shoe's a size 12. It's just not a good fit. It's close, but it's not good. And sometimes you're a size 14 and, you know, the shoe's a size eight, really not a good fit. And it doesn't mean that it's bad or good. It doesn't mean anyone's right or wrong. It just means it's just incompatible or not the best fit. And it took me a little while to understand uh, and resonate with that because it's true for my personality for my philosophy, for my style as a coach, I'm a really good fit for a certain type of person. It doesn't matter how fast you are. Steve, on the other hand, is a really good fit for another type of person. And we're all different fits. So it's finding that compatibility. And when you're in a high school setting, the nice thing is there, you know, the self-concept of the person or the athletes way more malleable, way more, um, you know, um, virgin, so to speak, uh, you know, but as we age, we have more of that kind of like definitive self-concept, especially when you get into young adolescence, adolescence and adulthood. So in there, it's not about, and that's, I think we have to remember in style and delivery, you ultimately, when you are, your st coaching style is dependent on your coaching philosophy and your personality, but you also have to think about at the same time and have compassion and empathy for that person, you're, that athlete you're interacting with about what's their experience. And that's why the game's so hard and it's such an art because we can't just say, here's the recipe. But when you watch masters at work in their space, like watching a Mike Smith, watching a Vin Lanana, watching a Rob Connor, like watching a Jerry Schumacher, like I've seen these people doing these things. And that taught me so much more about the art of coaching than any book, any podcast or anything. And I always tell people, just go and watch people coach. <laughs> if you just go and watch people coach when you're young, oh my gosh, it's phenomenal. Even old, like I still go and I go, you know, before COVID hit, I'd ask Danny Mackey, hey, can I just come up and watch a couple practices and hang out with you? And I'm not going to say shit. I'm just going to watch you just coach the beast because I just want to see how you're delivering your style and your philosophy. And it just, it's amazing how much you get out of it when you're just a supportive observer versus trying to be an active participant in practice or in the coaching dynamic. Yeah, it really is stepping back. You know, it reminds me of advice I had as a young coach, and they just said, um, go to the top of the stands and sit there <laughs> and, and, and observe, <laughs> you know, observe practice. And, you know, that's not very sexy advice for how to become a better coach, but you really do learn on, on, on the interactions. And I think it the top of the stands is nice because it takes you out and gives you a little perspective of like, okay, this is how this is rolling and running as, as a whole. And you get to see different styles and different approaches. And I think, you know, the other thing you mentioned there is that that fit is really important. And I learned this at some point, especially coaching post-collegiate athletes is I'd have to have this conversation on like, 
this is my style. This is how I like to work. This is how I work best. Like, if that sounds good to you, we're going to be a good fit. If not, like, it's okay. Like, we may not be a good fit. And there were a couple of bad fits early on. It's not that those people were bad or that whatever have you. It's just that my coaching style and and techniques didn't, like, fit or jive with them, you know, how they liked or what they needed or or have you. Um, it jived with another style. And that's totally fine. I think that's why you see, again, like really good coaches, you know, quote unquote, fail with certain athletes. It's not that the coach is bad. It's just that the fit isn't isn't that great. And then you see them succeed and thrive in other situations. And I think too often we discount this idea of fit and instead, you know, blame it on like, oh, the coaching philosophy is this or like the workouts are that. And that's easier to kind of shift that blame to. But it it really is like <laughs> that jiving and meshing with that other individual. Yeah, it's it, we tend to gravitate towards the concrete, right? Because you can concretely look at what was the, the weekly mileage? What was the workouts? Yeah. What was the sequence of that? It's really hard to talk about the abstract, which is the art. And so it's like this. We want concrete and predictability and we, we want that. But the reality is a lot of it is very fluid and very abstract and as coaches that's why it's so important to understand who you are as a person and where you are as a person in your developmental pathway like if you're a young coach just getting into the game late 20s mid 20s or a new coach who's like i retired now i'm getting into coaching i worked my whole life in this profession and like this sounds like a great last chapter of contribution is the coach it i mean that stuff all matters and you have a different sense of uh, self-concept at those different stages in life and some of it's more malleable some of it's not but without that understanding about who you are as a coach what's going to happen is we tend to copy and paste off of influences and whatever your main influences is right whether it's you're on social media consuming kind of free trash as i call it because <laughs> like that's why it's free folks because it's usually trash except for steve stuff and brad's <laughs> that's good free stuff you're gonna deal um but you know typically that's what you see right like the good stuff that the the stuff that's actual nourishment tends to there comes a, a, an associated price with it whether it's you know um actual economics you gotta put money down or your time and energy you gotta go somewhere and go do it but i cannot tell you like even just hanging out with mike once a year and watching him coach and just being at practice is like, Hey, I'm just here just watching my buddy do his thing. No, I'm not trying to coach, not trying to give feedback, not trying to do anything. Just like, man, I would never have thought to handle a situation or interact with athletes like that. That's awesome. And it's just kind of like that. You're just a, a, a nice shadow. Right. And that really is where you're going to get the rudiments and foundations of that abstract or like, getting outside and going and watch other coaches coach. Like that's why I love going to Altus and seeing Sue McMillan coach and Dan Path coach or Cheedy coach. And, you know, of the old Altus Phoenix crew, because it just showed me different ways to approach a very common problem, which is the, you know, infinite game of human interaction. <laughs> yeah. It, it, and it really is, you know, it's one of those parts and this is where I think Altus does a really good job is they, have brought that back into coaches education where for yeah. so much of it, it isn't, I mean, think of, I mean, you went through a different educational system, but I literally went through exercise science. Right. Right. And I can tell you the number of times we went out and watched someone coach in any sort of capacity, zero, you yeah. know, it was, it was, even though I was in, in, in college with a bunch of people who were going to be coaches and then in grad school who some already were coaches and it's interesting right because like there's that that it's almost like we're lacking that 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 kind of teachable moment or that kind of teachable thing because we just kind of take it for granted and this is actually something you see when you look at 
you know, those in sports versus those who might come out from outside of sports is often those who come into coaching from outside of sports have this uh, sometimes disadvantage, sometimes advantage, but they don't understand or they didn't get the benefit of just observing as an athlete, which, you know, means they don't have that kind of learning of of watching while doing the problem is most of us when we learn from coaches we just took from a handful that we experienced in our own athletic career and don't get to see the wide array of of techniques or styles or what have you yeah it's and you take it from a different orientation like you're taking it from how i was coached and how i received it as an athlete and then you flip that versus just saying hey, let's go look at how other people are doing it from the same position. And that's really important. That orientation and positioning is super important. Um, and it really is. It's like, right, you and I, it's funny. Like <laughs> the irony of it is you and I got into coaching from the exact opposite sides of the science art spectrum. You were heavy on the science. I was heavy on the art because I just was in Portland, Oregon. and had this opportunity to watch all these coaches coach my first several years as a coach. And then we've, you and I have both now kind of flipped, like I'm really into the science and you're so a lot more into the art. Right. And that's fun to see is our own collective journey, because when you're already strong, feel like you already have a strength and foundation in one area, you're then going to gravitate towards where you feel like you can improve. And so it's interesting to see our own personal path, take those shifts. Right. Versus like, because I, I remember when I first talked to you, man, it was like, this guy's talking about things and words I don't even know. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what the hell is lactate, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or why why don't we want to do ice baths? That makes inflammation. We want anti-inflammation. That's good, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's like, that's, that's the whole um, spectrum. And now, you know, with me getting really nerdy out in biomechanics and then you getting, you know, really nerdy out in like the self-health category, understanding, you know, helping people do hard things. It's been fun to see that shift, but we are only as strong as our mentors. And I think that's why you need a diversity of mentors that you are there to observe because that quote unquote practical element, because we have the theory element that we get a coaching clinic, a course, even the scholar program is essentially just that a lot of theory based on practical experience, based on practical insight. Um, But you can't replace being there. You can't replace it. And you've got to be there sometimes and just to observe and grow better. But also as a coach, the fundamental lesson is your presence speaks volumes and how you carry yourself, how consistently you carry yourself, how you interact with the athletes, based on your personality and your style, that presence is the lifeblood in a lot of ways of the ship, as long as your hands on the wheel. And then when your time's done with that ship and you pass it off to the next conductor, that program is not going to be the same program because it just has a different leader, different style, different personality, different everything. And that's okay. And you see this all the time. And we have to be okay with that um, passing of the torch and baton but as long as your wheels are hands on the rudder or be on the wheel and you have control of the rudder, like understanding and having awareness that everything about you, whether you know it or not, bleeds into the program you have or the, the interactions you're having with your, your athletes. It goes from your vocabulary, your demeanor, your style, you know, your fashion sense, what have you. Like, it's all there. <laughs> You know, it's interesting. So this is a little bit of a tangent, but people like the tangents is the, the, you know, I noticed this because if you look in the strength and conditioning world, especially in football, what you've seen in college football strength and conditioning is I'll call it copycat styling because like, you know, they saw the whatever crazy coach at Alabama one year or whatever, and they just caught, it's like, they become mimicking of the of that of the coaches, and I think there's value in mimicry, right, or copying. But it's I mean it's how we learn fundamentally. It's it's, it's, it's how we learn. Yeah. yeah, it's the first step. But it, it's it's just that it's that first step. It's then how do you take that and make that authentic to you? Mm-hmm. And I think that's often where we miss this stuff is we, 
you know, we talked about go observe practice. Well, one of the reasons it's so valuable is, is if you observe a bunch of coaches and you're there, then what that does is it allows you to, to kind of non or, or sorry, to objectively kind of step back and be like, okay, how does this make sense or integrate into my kind of world or my kind of philosophy or my kind of style instead of just saying, oh, this is how I coached, I've been coached, or this is what I saw, I'm just going to copy and mimic. If you get stuck at the copy and mimic, what happens is eventually it comes off as inauthentic. And what we know is that, you know, authenticity and being vulnerable and all those things in your coaching style, like allows for trust to develop, which allows, uh, which allows for that kind of athlete coach, you know, partnership to flourish and, and become something that, you know, leads to growth and development. And I think, <laughs> you know, so what does all that mean is mimicry or copying is a good start, but we have to move beyond that. And I think that's where you get to that point where you just said there is like being there is so important. And when I say being there, I don't just mean like physically there, but being there present, observing, understanding, growing, like supporting is so important because that allows you to not only keep exploring in terms of your own style, but it also explores of like, okay, how does this like work with the athletes I have right now in front of me and how do I develop that, that kind of trust and, and bond that, that creates that, that, you know, performance or growth as a person. Yeah. And that authenticity, right. Mike Smith calls it walking the same streets as the athletes. That's why, you know, we are very excited and, you know, have the scholar program, the clubhouse about exposure to novelty and new or different concepts that you might not have, uh, had exposure to in your own arena, in your local vicinity, or your own education, because if you're always trying to level up athletes, you as a practitioner need to be leveling up as well. We had a scholar like, you know, Quick Tangent was like, hey, are you guys, you know, making any kind of certifications that I could use for continuing education? Because the amount of information that we get from, you know, the various platforms is just worth its weight in gold and then some. And I go, that's a good idea. Steve and I are really poor businessmen, so we didn't think about that. But of course, that makes sense. <laughs> We're just coaches nerding out at the end of the day. Um, but that's the thing. So we have to ask. Uh, we can't ask athletes to do something we're not also actively participating in. And if you're not actively growing, how can you ask someone else to actively grow? It becomes incongruent. It becomes inauthentic. And, you know, that I think is really important to our style is having that authenticity that builds that trust, but then also too having flexibility in your style and personality, not like super flexible where you're just yielding to anyone's whim. I kind of equate to more like a tree, right? And branches, like you have parts that you will, in the wind blows, you'll bend and yield and move, but the root, the trunk, that's stable and, um, and that is secure. And so you have to know what is the non-negotiables about your philosophy, personality, and style, and what is malleable, what is flexible. Because if we're inflexible as coaches, then it's a my way or the highway approach. And it's tough because you see a lot of coaches, we are all strong personality types. That's why we're in that position. Like it's very rare to have a not strong personality type in a leadership coaching position. Some gravitate towards inflexibility, my way or the highway. This is how it's done. You have no input whatsoever. But we know that, you know, people have higher rates of trust and participation and, you know, positive uh, association with environments and spaces they have some active say in, right? That's why democracies work so well is because, I mean, it's, it's not the best form of government, but it's the best form we have, right, at our disposal. And uh, more people want to be in an actively participating environment than just be told what to do. There's a, there's a subset of people who just want to be told what to do, command and control. And that's appropriate at times in your coaching practice, but probably is not the best, you know, hundred percent way to conduct. Right. So we have to be able to oscillate between that. We have to know when to command and control and just say, Hey, get and do this. Don't think about it. Blah, 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 blah. But then we also have to know how and when to get feedback and then interpret feedback and then actually create and take steps to 
change, grow, be flexible and develop because of that feedback. And that is a tough part of the art. But if you do that, honest to goodness, you know, you start to build that trust and then people are just kind of wedded um, to you and they kind of stick with you, um, which is a fun, fun thing to say. Or they'll always have a, a fond spot, spot in your heart for you no matter if they graduate or, you know, they decide the coaching fit and philosophy in general wasn't right anymore. They need something new, but they love the personality and style, which that is a real thing. And that's totally fine. That's just a business transaction. Um, it's not a personal thing. It's always a personal thing, right? If it's a style and um, um, personality co confrontation versus if it's just a philosophy confrontation. So, you know, it's, as coaches, it's so tough to kind of keep these things separate and but also understand they all do bleed into each other and not take it personal or take it personal depending on the interaction yeah you know it's it it kind of goes back to what we talked about at the beginning um which is like that you know the example of joe newton and giving athletes nicknames well why does that work it sends a signal that like hey i care about you I identify like you are important, so I'm going to remember your identity, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. And for for high school kids, it's like, well, what are you? But some kid who's lost at the lunchroom, who has no place to fit in, and has no idea who they are. And you go to this place where it's like, oh, here's an authority figure telling me I fit in and telling me like, here's who I am. And, and it, it sounds very simple and it is to a degree, but it's like that simplicity is often where the good stuff comes because like at the end of the day, we're basic, we're human beings who need to feel like we belong and feel like we're connected and feel like we're significant and have some direction in life. And, you know, this podcast, like there's champions, you know, everywhere essentially, or we have to create the space to mold them. Well, that space is by kind of fulfilling those basic psychological needs so that they feel like they can grow in this area. And whether that growth is all through running or through something else. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, as you were saying that, it reminded me, it's, it's like the importance of role playing is so valuable. And I think we're seeing a lot of friction not only between coaches and athletes, but also in society at large, when people aren't willing to play different roles in different arenas, in different spaces. And what I mean by that is a lot of times, you know, people try to create a very concrete, singular self-concept. I am always this all the time. I'm consistently going to be this no matter what. But that doesn't necessarily work in different spaces and different arenas. A good example of this is, right, my kettlebell coach, who I've been with now for, you know, almost two going on a year and a half, you know, it's, I go up into our weekly training sessions and I play the role. I'm the athlete. He's the coach. So I expect him as a coach to coach me up. And he loves coaching me up because I'm very coachable because that's why I'm there. I'm not there to argue with him about what's the rep set count. What's the load. I'm not there to argue with him. Like he takes my feedback, says, Hey, what are you thinking today for weight? Hey, what do you think about this? But I, I never argue about the the how he's administering the work and whether it's metabolic work or SNC work or what have you. It's that's his domain. That's why I've hired him. That's why he is, you know, on on the quote unquote my payroll, so to speak, right? It's different though if I go like say and I'm coach I'm the one coaching, right? Now that requires a different type of position to be played. And so the hard part, right, is very um, having that kind of cognitive flexibility to know what your position is in what environment and what's the expectation of that position and be satisfied playing that position. And that's super important because a team, a support network, a group cannot thrive if everyone is not playing their position. Like, you know, in American uh, football, if the, you know, wide receiver decided he wanted to be the quarterback in the middle of the play, try to take the ball from the quarterback well that's not going to work <laughs> at all right it breaks the play down same situation here if we don't have that cognitive flexibility to play our position and do it well in different environments and then create the space as coaches for others to play a different position than they do in the rest of life that's that's what i mean by being there and that's what steve means by you know creating space is 
by giving kids a nickname, you then allow them to play a different role in a different space that they might not play at home or they might not play in the classroom. Timmy might be really bad at math and getting working his butt off to get C's in math, but you call Timmy, you know, uh, you know, beast mode in practice. Well, because his nickname is beast mode because he goes into beast mode and all of a sudden Timmy's like this different agent who's not bad at math anymore, but beast mode's really good at like the last 400 kick of a race. And man, you went beast mode, just kicked them down. Right. So you give flexibility to people's self-concept and identity and their roles and their positions and contextually in different environments. And that's fundamentally why storytelling works. It's fundamentally why we go watch movies. It's fundamentally how we act as, you know, that carrying that, um, that cognitive coherence as humans is because we can go to different places and have different roles or different expectations versus it'd be exhausting to be the same thing to everyone all the time. <laughs> and it is if, if that, if you have that high degree of narcissism, because narcissism is infused, right? With that capacity of just, I have to be the same, the same in every context, no matter what. And you see those narcissistic people do well, say in one arena that maybe like become a populist, type of uh, politician, but then they suck in almost every other arena because it's always the same worldview and having that flexibility so key and then providing that space for people to explore different dimensions of their, their character and dimensions of their person. That's really what the great coaches do. It's creating that space for a new dimension to develop. And when you allow you, you that, know, people are just um, flourish. <laughs> You know, it reminds me of the uh, Stanford uh, professor, Robert Sapolsky, in one of his talks, said people make a mistake with status, right? And he said, essentially, we all need some sort of status or direction or significance. Um, but the mistake we make is we think it has to be in, like, one area. But we can get status anywhere. We just need it somewhere and he used the example of from a like hormonal and health standpoint the guy who at the workplace the guy who gets status from you know getting all the raises or like moving up you know is essentially the same off as the guy who is in that same workplace but gets his status from being the star on the company softball team for the yearly softball game and, and I think that that's what we're talking about in terms of that Joe Newton is if you suck at math, then like you're not getting your status there. You know, you're not getting your significance. You're not getting your identity or what have you. But if you, you can have a place in running that allows you to have that, even if it's not, again, it doesn't have to be based on, oh, they're the fastest outcome, but gets just giving some of that significance that goes a long way. Yeah. And that's we have to feel status like on a one-to-one -one connection to like hey i matter to this person and that as a coach that's the onus i mean you see it like i see it with a lot of coaching friends the bigger your team and the more you try to deliver that personal connection the more kind of just deflating and exhausting it is on a day-to-day -day basis you, you need your downtime you need your like i'm just gonna watch this you know netflix for you know the eight to nine o'clock before I go to bed because I just need to whoo, decompress because there's a high um, opportunity cost in, uh, for interaction and requires a lot of fuel, whether you are an extrovert by nature, but most coaches tend to be kind of like introverts, but have extrovert tendencies in a certain context. But also too, you can get your status in other ways. You can get your status through being successful or getting praise or attention because it really comes down to attention in this area or this area. And you just got to be okay with the things you suck at. <laughs> like the things I suck at, Steve tends to be a lot better at. And that's why this marriage works and vice versa. The things I also suck at, my wife tends to be a lot better. And that's why our marriage works going on 10 years. Been together almost, you know, 15, right? Because I realized I needed someone who was strong in areas I was weak and vice versa. And so it becomes a good reciprocal relationship. Same situation in the coaching athlete dynamic. Because it also changes too as that person changes and as you grow and they grow in the relationship. And it's just one of those things from the art perspective where it's like, well, how do I, I'm a new coach. How do I figure it out? I mean, 
I would tell people just go read all of Robert Greene's books. <laughs> you know, the you know the Four Laws of Power, the Laws of Human Nature. You know the you know the uh, Book of War, uh, Seduction. Like you name it. Like he's probably the best singular source to get an initial exposure to all these concepts because these are infinite games that have been played for as long as humans have been able to to talk. <laughs> Very, very true. Well, that's, that's the, that's a good spot. I think to wrap this up is like, not only you can do this, we've given you some reading, but also some observation. And it's when you combine those kind of, we'll call it real world experience on the, on the, on the deck, watching how things work with some intellectual education as well. It's like, that's when good things happen. And I think when we silo those off and like mess up that balance, that's when sometimes we get stuck or cemented in our, our ways, or we end up coaching the same way that our coach or we were coached and we can't expand out of that because we can't get out of exploration or we can't get back into that exploration phase. So, you know, and you know what, John, one of the best ways to do that. Oh, I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, Steve, but say it. It's a scholar program. Yes, it is. You get that. You get the education. You get the interaction with coaches. You get the monthly Zoom. And you know, maybe one day we'll just film some uh, coaches coaching as well. Maybe that's the new addition we'll we'll add into at some point because I that's think that's an idea. I like it. Yeah. You know, coaches just film coaching. a practice from the yeah. coaches coaching because that could be cool. So, anyways, yeah. get a, get on board with the scholar program if you haven't yet. Sign up, get all sorts of good stuff. And once again, thanks for listening to us on this podcast as we head into 2023. We're here to give you guys what you want, as John says, and we're mm-hmm. we're always looking to up our game and uh, improve our coaching. And I'll say one last thing on the sign up for this. I think, you know to summarize the theme of this, it's a difference between stagnation and growth, right? And if we are stagnant, we create stagnant environments. But if we're growing, we create growth-oriented environments. And that's why Steve and I have such a passion for what we do. It's not about getting people to win races and stuff. I mean, you know, a good example of the scholar program was we had a coach in California. uh, You know, he joined the scholar program. His team didn't even make it to state in California, which is tough to do in cross country. And then this year they went from not ever making it. And he'd be like, how do I make it? How do I get these, these guys to get there to sixth? So took a program that didn't even have a, a glimmer of hope and got them to six in a year's time that demonstrates champions are everywhere. They just need the space. And what he did was he created the space and that's so important. But if you are stagnant, it's the art of coaching is tough because it's very dynamic. As we've talked about, you may be like, Oh man, it's all these directions, but that's the fun of it. It's so dynamic when we want concrete stability that creates stagnation. There is security in that, but we have to figure out how to find as Steve always talks about balance or that middle path and create a dynamic uh, situation where there is stability, but is growth oriented. And that's why, again, you got to check out Steve and Brad's stuff if you don't worry. That's why it's called the growth equation. It's not the stagnant equation. It's not the stability equation. <laughs> so hopefully more good stuff to come from us. And I know more good stuff to come from you, whether you're an athlete or coach. And I am 100% certain amazing stuff to come from the scholar program, not just from what Steve and I are going to put out, but from the conversations and dialogues coaches are having in the clubhouse this year. It's going to change lives because it already is. <laughs>